So glad to have you as a part of this service. This is the final weekend of a message series called Ask Me Anything, and so far uh, we've asked some and answered some pretty tough questions. Week one was, will someone who is a Christian who commits suicide go to heaven? Week two, we asked the question, do I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all matters of life and living? That was a, a great question. And honestly, the way you answer that question, the way I answer that question will answer so many of the other questions we have in our lives. It will answer so many of the other questions that were submitted, especially questions about uh, several of the social issues that surround us each and every day in this world. Last week we were together, we asked the question, what happens to people who die without ever hearing about Jesus? And we're going to wrap things up this weekend with the question, why does God allow suffering? But before we do that, I, I, I uh, want to share with you, because I know this would be relevant to many of you, I found out yesterday that longtime church member Red Norris passed away this weekend. Many of you will remember Red and his first wife, Doris, who uh, preceded him in death several years ago. Doris was a very active part of our church and played the piano here for many, many years uh, and uh, blessed us that way. Red served as an elder in the church for many years. He was an elder when I came here 20 years ago, and both... Uh, Red and Doris together made a huge impact on the lives of so many different people. And so uh, please just keep their children and their families in your prayers. When I find out more information about a uh, funeral service for Red, which will be here in this area, I will put that on my Pastor Philbeck Facebook page, uh, or you can call the church if you're interested in learning more about that. I don't have all the details of that yet. I'm going to put a single verse of Scripture up on the screen as we begin uh, our time together in the Word uh, today, and uh, we're going to use this for our, our, uh, our public reading of Scripture. And so if you're able, go ahead and stand with me, uh, and we're going to read this verse together. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture as we go through this study together. But let's start right here by reading these words from Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 12. Let me hear your voices. Here we go. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. All right, there it is. You can be seated. I know that probably sounds like an odd verse, but we're going to come back to it as we get to the end of the message, and it's going to make a whole lot more sense to you then. Just out of curiosity, I took the time this past week to look through my files to find out how many times I've addressed this question, why does God allow suffering or something similar over the 20 years I've been the pastor here at Mount Pleasant? And I couldn't come up with an exact number because honestly, I couldn't remember all the different titles that I used, but I've talked about this several different times, both in individual messages and in different sermon series, like a sermon series I did several years ago called The Secret in Suffering. And the last time I talked about suffering was on the weekend of September the 29th and 30th, 2018, and the title for that message was exactly the same as the title for the message this weekend, Why Does God Allow Suffering? And if I'm going to be honest with you, I'll have to tell you that after looking back at that message, I had this thought, I don't think I can do much better than that when it comes to answering this question, not because it was so good, but because this is just a difficult question to answer. And I understand that sometimes even a thoughtful, thorough, biblical explanation about suffering doesn't answer the question, why does God allow suffering for everyone, especially for someone who finds themselves in the middle of suffering? And so we keep asking and we keep searching for answers that might bring us at least some level of satisfaction. But 
I want to warn you that that can oftentimes be a perilous pursuit because there are a lot of wrong answers to this question, a lot of faulty answers. Are you familiar with the name Mary Baker Eddy? She was the founder of a religion called the Church of Christ Scientists. She lived many, many years ago, uh, but many things about her teaching are still around today. She spent a lot of time in her life trying to convince people that pain and suffering were an illusion. And you could overcome both with kind of a mind over matter approach. But how many of you know that's not going to work? Some people choose to deal with the question of suffering by simply rejecting God as if that somehow solves the problem. And their thought process would be something like this. If this is how things are going to be, and by that I mean if, this is, if, if living in a world full of suffering is how things are going to be, then I simply choose to reject God. But I'm not sure what good that does other than to give you something, or I guess I should say someone else to be mad at or unhappy with. I think it's also a short-sighted conclusion because if you're angry and disgruntled and confused about the reality of suffering and you decide as a result to reject God, all you've really done is remove from your life any real source for understanding and meaning about your circumstance and the reality of your suffering. Then there are people who choose to deal with the question, why does God allow suffering by redefining God, which is something that is becoming more and more popular in our culture with every passing day. Uh, I'm talking about people like, and some of you will remember this, even though this book is written several years ago, people like Rabbi Harold Kushner and his best-selling book, Why Bad, or excuse me, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It was a bestseller. He tried to answer the question, why does God allow suffering, by saying that while there is a God... He's not an all-powerful God. In fact, here's his conclusion when you find yourself suffering. This is a direct quote from his book. He says, we advise you to love God, and note this, and to forgive him despite his limitations. Here's the bottom line. There are no shortage of answers to the question, why does God allow suffering but so many of them are wrong. And so, when thinking about this message and how I might answer the question, here's a conclusion that I came to for myself and for all of you, although you certainly have every right to accept it or reject it. The Bible doesn't tell us why God allows suffering in a way that will completely satisfy everyone because the Bible's purpose isn't to give us the answer to why God allows suffering. Its purpose is to help us endure suffering in a way that honors God. I believe that genuinely to be true. And that helps me in my personal life when the question of suffering is raised. But In addition to that, I do believe also, as much as I believe anything else, that the Bible gives us some insight into different reasons why God allows suffering. Maybe I should say it like this. The Bible gives us insight into different ways God uses suffering. And while there are many, many of them, I'm just going to share four of them with you, and I'm going to try to do it really quick because there's something else I want to talk to you about as we come to the close. If you're someone who likes to take notes, then write down somewhere next to number one, this truth. God allows suffering because it's the reality of life in a sinful and broken world. And I don't think that should come as a surprise to anyone. God allows suffering because it's the reality of life in a sinful and broken world. Here's how we 
all need to view suffering. Suffering is the common human condition of life in a sinful and broken world. And notice, friends, that I use the word common. Suffering is the common human condition of life in a sinful and broken world. That's, we know that because the Bible tells us that suffering comes on both the righteous and the unrighteous. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, he, talking about God, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the reality of the world that we live in. We live in a world that has been infected by sin, and one of the results is suffering. And if, if we don't ever wrap our minds and our arms around that truth, then we're going to struggle with the reality of suffering for all of our lives. We live in a world that has been infected by sin and marred by sin in so many different ways. And one of the ways is the reality of suffering. That means while God often can and does use suffering for a greater purpose, and we'll talk about those in my next three points that I want to share with you, we don't have to theologize every bad thing that happens in our lives so that we can figure it out as a part of some bigger, greater plan. We experience suffering in the world today because it is part of the human condition as we live in a sinful world. That's not the way God intended it to be in the beginning. But remember, God gave Adam and Eve the free will to choose whether to obey him or disobey him. And the choice of disobedience brought sin into the world, and we've all been paying the consequence ever since. Here's number two. Sometimes God uses suffering to bring correction into our lives. Sometimes God uses suffering to bring correction into our lives. Sometimes we experience suffering because we're going the wrong direction in our lives, and God wants to get our attention so he can turn us around and help us to go in the right direction. Look at these words on the screen from Psalm 119, verse 67. The psalmist said, before I was afflicted, hang on to that word, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now... I obey your word. You go a little bit further down in Psalm 119, this time to verse 71. And the same man writes, it was good for me to be, here's the word again, afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. It's a pretty common theme between those two verses. Now, that word afflicted that the psalmist uses there in both verses, in verse 67 and verse 71, in the original language of the Old Testament is the Hebrew word anah. We probably have it on the screen for you to see. And while it has the general meaning of pretty much any kind of trial, it also has the specific meaning of being humbled, which is exactly what suffering can do to you. It can humble you. And so here we have this psalmist saying that whatever affliction it was that came into his life was good for him because it humbled him enough to turn him to the word of God. It humbled him in a way that led him to God's word and to learn and obey God's word, and his life was better as a result. Let me just ask everyone here a really straightforward question, and all you folks who are listening to me online, here's a real straightforward question. Are you more likely to turn to God in times of health, wealth, and abundance, or in times of sickness, sadness, and want? Which is it for you? I think that's a no-brainer for most of us. And so sometimes suffering comes into our life because we're in need of correction. And that suffering is what leads us to God. 
And you know, by the way, before we go to number three, you might pay especially close attention to this truth. If you're someone, and be honest with yourself, if you're someone who always finds yourself saying something like, why do I always struggle like this? Why is my life so filled with suffering and with trial and with trouble? Now, I'm not saying in every case that's because God is trying to bring some correction into your life. I am saying it might be, though. Only you and God can know the answer to that question. Here's number three. Sometimes God allows suffering for necessary growth. Sometimes God allows suffering for necessary growth. I'm going to put a powerful passage of Scripture up on the screen. It's Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. You've got to make a note of it somewhere uh, so that you can go back and reference this passage because it's really, really wonderful. Paul is writing, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Everyone say, good news, good news. That's good news. And then he goes on to say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, now he takes a turn, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character, hope. Now, Paul says that we rejoice in our suffering because, first of all, it produces perseverance. And that perseverance goes on to produce character, and that character goes on to produce hope. And all of those things, perseverance, character, and hope, they're critical elements to living the Christian life that we've been called to live. Let's talk about perseverance for a moment, which, by the way, and you might want to write this down somewhere, that word perseverance can also be translated patience. So perseverance or patience, Paul says, gives you endurance and the ability to keep moving forward in your life forward in your life of faith, no matter what obstacle comes your way, no matter what trial you might face, no matter how difficult life might be, it gives you perseverance and patience. And that's something we all need. Let me give you a, a really simple truth that I believe deeply in my heart and I've always tried to live by and I've passed this on to my children. I've passed this on to my grandchildren. I've passed this on to many of the people that I've met. And I've said this here before. It's not original with me, but it's so simple, but it's so truth. Here it is. It's always too soon to quit. How many of you believe that's true? It's always too soon to quit. Perseverance has got to be a part of our life. And Paul says that suffering produces that perseverance. And suffering produces that patience because that's also what the word means. Then he says that perseverance, it's always too soon to quit, produces character. And that word character in the original language of the New Testament here in Romans chapter 5 is a, is a, is a Greek word that simply means proof. And so what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about character, he's talking about character that has been proven. Or we might say it like this, he's talking about proven character. Suffering produces perseverance or patience, and perseverance or patience produces character that is proven. And here's why we know that, because the word that Paul uses here uh, for character is the Greek word dokime, and it is a word that refers to something that has been tested and found to be true. Interestingly enough, it's the same word that's often used to describe the process of putting precious metals under extreme heat to purify them. And so Paul says, suffering produces perseverance, and uh, perseverance 
works in our life in a way that builds and proves our character. And then finally, he says there's hope. And the idea behind hope in this context is that the more you persevere and the more you're tested, the more your character grows and the greater your hope will become for the ultimate deliverance, which is found when we experience the glory of God face to face. And remember, all these things, all of these things, perseverance, which leads to character, which leads to hope, are fashioned and formed from suffering. From suffering. And I'm sure that there are people in this service and there'll be people listening online and people in every service who can tell you that they know this is true firsthand. Because my guess is that all of us have experienced suffering in our lives at least on some level. I certainly know I have. Life can be like a gut punch sometimes. And you wonder what in the world is happening and why is this happening and why is this happening to me? But we've got this God, this, we've got this sovereign God who sometimes uses that suffering for necessary growth so that our lives can be more full and more meaningful and more abundant. And then the fourth truth I've got written down here is this. Sometimes God allows suffering because it leads to his glory. Sometimes God allows suffering because it leads to his glory. There's a great story in the beginning of John chapter 9. We've talked about this story before. It's about a time when Jesus and his disciples encountered a man that was born blind. And in John chapter 9 and verse 2, when the disciples saw this man, this is what they said to Jesus. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because in that day, people generally believed that if you had some kind of a problem or disability or whatever it might be, it was because of sin, sin in your life or maybe generational sin in your family. So they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And here's Jesus' response in John chapter 9 and verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The next thing that happens in John 9, 6, and 7 is Jesus spits on the ground. You remember this story? And he makes some mud from the dirt in the ground, and he places it on the man's eyes. He tells him to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam, and when he does, he can see. Now, let me tell you how we need to understand what happened here. And listen to me close. Jesus is not saying that God deliberately caused this man to be born blind and suffer through all these years of blindness so that one day the glory of God could be on display in the healing he received from Jesus. He's saying that in the moment, God chose to use this man's affliction. God, let's think of it like this. God chose to use this man's suffering for his glory. And I genuinely believe one of the things that we need to hang on to when we go through times of suffering as people of faith is that one day God, and I don't know how it will come in your life, I don't know how it will come in my life, but one day God will redeem our suffering for his glory. I was reading some commentary about this particular story, this man born blind in John chapter 9, written by a pastor named Alistair Begg that I like to listen to on Moody Radio sometimes. 
And he told the story, as he talked about this story, he told the story about how his mother died when he was 20 years old and his sisters were 11 and 15. And he wrote, these are his words, these are his words, I couldn't find a redeeming feature in this event at all. I couldn't make sense of it. He said, I stood at her open grave and tried to theologize it as best as I could, but it still seemed to me like a bad idea. I think all of us could relate to that, can't we? Then he said when he was 23 years old, he became the assistant or the associate minister at a church. And he said, I looked like I was 16, and even the elders of the church were concerned about, and these are his own words, not mine, The elders of his church were concerned about how a cream-faced loon would ever be any use in the context of a multi-generational and diverse congregation. And then he wrote, then a day came when I went to the home of a church member who had lost a loved one. And he writes, I walked in the door and I sat down and I took the person's hand and I thought, thank you, Lord. Because this is part of the reason. And he went on to say that God had given him an empathy that he would not have had apart from losing his mother. Now listen to me again. I don't believe his mother died for that one day when he walked into the home of someone who had lost a loved one. But God, what did God do, friends? What did God do? God used the death of his mother to bring glory to himself by allowing him to minister to that family in the midst of their grief in a genuine, sincere, and heartfelt way. God, in the moment, redeemed that suffering because that's what God does. Somebody say amen to that. That's what God does. We may not see it in the moment, and it might take a long time for us to eventually see it, But this is the God that we love and serve. This is what he does. And he redeemed that suffering in that moment. And so when suffering comes into our lives, here's the question that we all need to ask ourselves. Am I prepared to trust God believing that he can one day use my pain and my suffering for his glory? Now, I'm going to stop right there when it comes to biblical reasons why God allows suffering, although even as I said earlier, there are so many other ones that we could talk about. And I want to tell you the reason why I think this question keeps coming up over and over and over again and why even after this weekend it will come up again and again and again. It's because... We struggle with the question, why does God allow suffering? Because suffering in our lives or the lives of people that we love in the world that we live in just oftentimes seems so unfair. Most people are raised with this strong sense of right and wrong and fair and unfair and suffering so much of the time just seems unfair. So I want to talk to you about that. We just have about 11 minutes left. I want to talk to you that about that as we begin to bring this to a close. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk lived and ministered at a very, very difficult time in the history of God's people because God's people 
had become very sinful and very rebellious. And Habakkuk was just done in by this sin and rebellion. And so when he wrote his book, he has some specific questions. They could even be called complaints that he shares with God. And the first question was basically, God, what are you doing about this? What are you doing about this? But at one point, his question, even though it's not phrased this way in his book, really becomes, God, are you really fair? And what I want to say from the beginning, if you've ever thought about this or you've struggled about this, is that the question of whether or not God is fair always depends on your perspective. Always. In fact, you ought to write that down somewhere. The question of whether or not God is fair always depends on your perspective. Think about it like Think about it like this. Your perspective about God is everything when it comes to seeking answers from God or answers about God. The dictionary tells us that perspective is basically using our senses and our faculties to form an opinion or perspective about reality. And that's something we all do every day, probably more than we even recognize. But here's the deal. And I know you know this is true. Perspective and reality are not always the same thing. My perspective about something in life and what's real about something in life are not always the same thing. And I'm sure that you could say the same as well. Because sometimes there's the way we see things and there's the way things really are. And the problem is a faulty perspective. So what we need to do sometimes and what Habakkuk needed to do we need to place our personal perspective, and in the context, this context, we're talking about whether or not we believe God is fair or unfair. We need to place our personal perspective under the light, the revealing light of God's word. And that's really, again, that's what happens in the book of Habakkuk. Let me just set the context for you a little bit more. He was, Habakkuk was a prophet in Judah at a time when God's people were so very, very sinful and rebellious, they worshiped idols, they sacrificed their children to pagan gods, they ignored the one true God. They had a king named Jehoiakim who uh, not only refused to listen to God's prophets, but he burned all the things that they had, had written. And, and Habakkuk's just like, I'm, up, I'm fed up to here with this. God, what are you going to do about this? That was his first question. What are you going to do about this? And God answers him. And basically, God said, here's what I'm going to do about this. I'm going to use the nation of Babylon to judge the nation of Judah. I'm going to use the wicked, sinful, rebellious, pagan Babylonians to judge my people in the nation of Judah. And so, when Habakkuk said, God, what are you doing about this? God answered his question. But here's the problem. What do you think it is? Habakkuk didn't like that answer. He didn't like it at all because the Babylonians were so very wicked. Why would God use people that were even more wicked than the, than the people of Judah were at that time as his judgment of the people of Judah? And so his second question slash complaint was based on his belief that what God was choosing to do wasn't fair. And you could do almost... See the prophet shaking a fist in God saying, that's not fair. 
And so God answers that question or that complaint. And here's the deal, friends. And I don't have time to go into detail about this, so you're going to have to trust me and go home and read the book of Habakkuk. God answers that complaint in two ways. And we're just going to focus on the first way because it stands out to me. Because the first way God answered Habakkuk's complaint that that's not fair was he answered it by using Habakkuk's own words. Even though Habakkuk didn't really recognize what was happening in the moment. And that takes us back to that weird verse we read at the beginning of the service. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 12. And here it is again. O Lord, these are Habakkuk's words. Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. And then you start to see the context of God using the Babylonians to judge the people of Judah. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Now, when you look at those words, Habakkuk didn't think it was fair that God would use the people of Babylon, the Babylonians, to punish Judah. And so he began his crafting this argument to God that it wasn't fair by acknowledging some things that he knew to be absolutely true about God. And in that verse, I see four of them. First of all, he said in Habakkuk chapter 12, and what we'll call Habakkuk chapter 12, verse, or verse 12a, he said, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? And what he's saying by that, the practical meaning is, he's saying that God is self-existent and eternal. And that's, here's what that means. That means Habakkuk is acknowledging that there's no problem that's too big for God because God was here before the problem came up and God will be here when the problem is gone. That's what he's saying when he says to God, O Lord, are you not from everlasting God? You're self-existent and eternal. You're here before the problem. You'll be here after the problem. Then, and I'm going to skip over what I call verse 12b, and I'm going to leave it for last. To go down to what I'll call verse 12c, and here's what Habakkuk says. He says, my God, my Holy One. And so what he's saying about God now is not only is God self-existent and eternal, but he's saying God is holy. And here's the practical meaning of that. The fact that God is holy means God will never do anything in your life or my life or the life of anyone that belongs to him that is wrong. Now, listen to me, because let's just be honest. That's a little bit hard to hear sometimes when we know we've gone through some difficult times or when we have a loved one we know has suffered. But if you're going to say that you believe that God is holy, and that's what Habakkuk is saying my God, my Holy One, then you have to believe on a practical level that because God is holy, He will never do anything in your life or the life of anyone you love who belongs to Him that is wrong. Then we skip down to what I'm going to call Habakkuk 12d, the last part of the verse. And he says, O Lord, you have appointed them. Talking about the Babylonians now. You have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. What's he saying? He's saying God is sovereign. Because, I mean, the Babylonians, they were just a bunch of pagan knuckleheads. And God is using them. They think that they're, they think that they're in charge. But God is using them to accomplish his purpose in the land of Judah to discipline and punish his people. And he's doing that because God is sovereign. He has control over all things. And that means nothing happens. And this is also a hard thing to hear sometimes. But this is what the Bible says about God. Nothing happens that God doesn't allow. Nothing happens that God doesn't allow. 
So there's never a moment like Rabbi Harold Kushner thinks that when suffering comes into your life, it happened because God doesn't have any control over it. He's not powerful enough. That's just not the truth about God. Sometimes we think that God abandons us in tough times that lead to suffering. But here's the truth. The Bible teaches us that sometimes God appoints the tough times that lead to suffering. And we just talked about several reasons why. And there are others. Now we're going to go back to the part I skipped over, what I'm going to call verse 12b. I hope that wasn't too confusing. And here's what um, Habakkuk says about God. He says, God is faithful. He says, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. I know this is your plan. You're going you're gonna to use the, the, uh, the nation of Babylon to come in and discipline the nation of Judah. And I know it's going to be awful, but in the end, I know that we're, we're still going to be around. When he, people died, but the nation of Judah didn't die. And what that te- teaches us, this faithfulness of God, what that teaches us on a practical level is that God will never abandon you and he will never allow something to come into your life that you can't handle if you trust him. He didn't abandon Judah, even though they went through such a difficult time of discipline and judgment. So when you read Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 12, and you understand the context that we just talked about, it's clear that Habakkuk had lost his perspective about God in the middle of the suffering. He lost his perspective about God as he was trying to figure out whether or not God was really fair. And what he needed to do was he needed to stop right in that moment and he needed to start thinking about what he was saying and whether or not he really believed that what he was saying about God was true. And friends, sometimes we need to do the same thing. And we need to stop And we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe that all of those things that I said and believed about God in the past when everything was good, do I really believe that they continue to be true right now when I'm suffering? That's that's where we need to be. You ever watched a movie or a television show when somebody was walking on like a frozen pond or a frozen lake? I'm always really tense when that happens. You know, I'm stressed out. And they're walking, and they might be walking slow, but then all of a sudden that inevitable moment comes when the ice begins to what? It begins to crack. And you can hear it, and you can see it, and it's kind of just the little tentacles of the crack start to go out. What, 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 is, what does a sane person need to do in that moment? They need to stop, right? And then what do they need to do? They need to slowly back up till they get to a part of the ice that's secure. Well, let me tell you what happens when we suffer sometimes. And we suffer in a way where we have accusations against God. Like, what are you doing? And are you fair? We need to stop right there and slowly begin to back up until we get to that safe place where we believe all of these things about God that the prophet Habakkuk said just a moment ago that God is self-existent and eternal, 
There's no problem too big for him because he was here before the problem. He'll be here when the problem is gone, that he is holy. That means he's never going to do anything in your life or the life of anyone who belongs to him that's wrong, that God is sovereign. That means that nothing happens that God doesn't allow. And number four, that God is faithful and he will never abandon you no matter how difficult the suffering comes. We need to stop. We need to back away from the struggle and we need to get on a safe, on safe, solid footing where we can remind ourselves of the things that we know to be true about God and we don't allow the suffering to rob us of that and the comfort that it brings. So let me just tell you this and I'll close and Phil and the team can come. I don't always know why suffering comes into my life or your life we, because we, we all spend time there. I told you earlier, there have been some things that have happened in my life to me that were just like a gut punch, a sucker punch that just came out of nowhere. And you're just going, what in the world is happening? But I know and believe that God can be trusted. Somebody say amen to that. And so the question for all of us is this. Will we continue to believe what we know to be true about God even in the darkest, most difficult moments of life? And that's the biggest question of all when it comes to how we choose to understand the reality of suffering. Father in heaven, we love you so much, and we are so thankful that you are all the things Habakkuk says you were, that you are an eternal God, that you're a sovereign God, that you're a holy God, and that you're a faithful God. And help us to live our lives on the solid, sound footing of those truths, no matter what comes and no matter what goes. We love you, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and actually sing a couple of songs before we leave. You probably noticed we only sang a couple of songs in the beginning. If you're a prayer counselor for this service, would you come on down as we sing this first song so that you can be available to anybody who needs prayer? Now, you don't have to stay past the first song unless people are still coming, uh, but we would love to have you here. And uh, I, I just want to encourage you. I, I love it when church is really church and people are real people. And if you're struggling with some kind of suffering in your life or you've got somebody that's heavy on your heart because you know how deeply they're struggling in, in their life, would you come and let somebody pray with you for that person or for you? Maybe you, maybe you should just come and ask somebody to pray this, this prayer for you and with you. God, help me to trust you in this difficult time. If, that, if that's on your heart, you come and you pray as we move toward the end of the service.